1975, proclaimed as the City of Destiny, Tacoma has maintained itself as the City of Grid. Tacoma kept its in-your-face artistry and individuality that sets it apart from anywhere else in the world. Our never-say-die attitude continues to this day. We are honored to bring to you those who live in Tacoma and its surrounding areas, whose contributions are what bring this city to life. The reputation is real. Welcome to the Grid City Podcast. Here are your hosts. Welcome to the Grit City Podcast. I am Justin, and I'm the only one here for this episode, and I'll explain that in just a minute, but thank you all for listening to us. If you want to get more information about us, it's simple because, well, if you subscribe to us, you can just search for the Grit City Podcast, and you'll find all of that there, and then you'll also find all of the links to all of our stuff right on this page. But if you don't know that or if you want to share our stuff with everyone via social media, you can do so at gritcitypodcast.com. Lots of different ways to get in touch with us as well on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter. And we try to respond to all of those messages as much as possible. Also, if you're listening to us on whatever podcast device, and maybe it is Apple, uh, iTunes, or podcast, it's podcast now, right? Yeah. Uh, leave us a rating, give us a five star. And if you want to be super cool, you could actually leave us a review, a little bit longer of a review. But if you give us a five-star rating and you just send us a message, we'll send you a sticker from diecutstickers.com, one of our awesome Shroom Brothers designs that was uh, touched up a little bit by Jeff and uh, made into an awesome sticker. Maybe you've heard the commercials every once in a while. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to some of the ratings that we've actually gotten. Uh, one of the reviews we got was a fantastic local podcast. Gave us five stars. This came from Take On Steve. Take on Steve. Maybe, maybe not. All right, sorry. Been listening for about a year now. Sorry it took so long to leave a review. They feature a variety of guests from the Tacoma area and provide a very approachable outlook into activities, interests, and issues around the area. Highly recommend. Thank you so much. Many years ago when Scott and Brogan created this, they wanted to make something that was fun and just fun. Find out all about Tacoma, meet new people, and Brogan knows so many people that it was really easy to do. And when I came on after they took their hiatus, I wanted to continue to do that. And I wanted to meet people who not only that I thought were interesting, but I thought that were interesting to the community. Uh, artists, we have business owners, we have just everyone out there who was making something happen in Tacoma, either for themselves or for the community at large, or with some of the safety stuff with like the Washington State Emergency Management Services. And we've got, we had, you know, the Pierce County Emergency Management Services. These guys who uh, not necessarily are here to terrify you about the uh, fault in Tacoma, but also at the same point, let you know that there is possible, you know, danger that's happening around here and that you need to be prepared. And part of that was also knowing who your neighbors are and about the community and doing all of that. So really, I was very happy to be able to do this. And now coming around to this episode, Episode. It is the 100th episode of the Grit City podcast. It falls on the one of the last days of this decade of 2019. 
these 20 teens, the 2010 through 2019, it's been an interesting one. I think everyone can uh, uh, really kind of gather from that. And we're still happy to be doing the Grit City podcast. I want to give a shout out to some of the local businesses who have been on our podcast, Tacoma Hops, who have moved on. But, you know, thank you so much for being on and showing me how awesome the German chocolate cake can be when it's just a chocolate donut with a stout beer. Moving to Steve Dunkelberger with all of his history facts from the touring companies that want to show off Tacoma from the pretty gritty tours to Tacoma ghost tours to, you know, having a great place like the Union Club being able to let us be in their place and facilitate our podcast in a wonderfully, really eccentric area. But that is being turned into a co-working space. And I'll be excited to see what they're doing next year in the next decade with the old city hall. So all of these things are still going. The gears are still grinding around for Tacoma. And we're going to be doing this again next year. Hopefully for New Year's Eve, we're going to have another New Year's Eve recording. At least some friends and some people who have been doing some fun stuff. And kind of get their outlook on that. So I feel that that's what's going to be our next week's episode. I mean, drinking aside, we're going to be partying again just like we did last year. And we'll have a setup. And I think we might be doing a confessional booth type of thing and saying, oh, what do you love about Tacoma? What do you love about yourself? And what do you plan on doing next year to make your community a better place? I'd like to hear from you guys. So if you have something along those lines, shoot me an email. Info at GritCityPodcast.com. This will be a little bit short on the New Year's Eve one, but maybe we can read them a little bit later. Send me those emails. Also, with the emails, send us either Facebook, uh, info at GritCityPodcast.com, Instagram photos, Twitter, any way that you want to try to get a hold of us. Please do so if you know of something cool happening in Tacoma that we should talk to. The, our next guest, the guest that we're having on for this 100th episode, is a man who just sent us an email and was like, hey, I wrote a book and I live in Tacoma and I would love to talk to you guys about this. And I think they probably just searched Tacoma podcast because we are one of the bigger ones up there, one of the top uh, search engine hits on that. And they just randomly sent us an email. And so on this episode, I'm having on David James Roberts, who wrote The Paper Man, which we'll get into it, but it's not a book about Tacoma, but this is an author who is living in Tacoma. And one of these things that you will always know about Western Washington is that we have tramp trans is that we have transplants. And when we have these transplants, they're coming from all over and they have all these different life experiences. But there's a reason why they've been staying here for as long as they have. And usually it's like the five plus year mark. It's like, OK, you've been here for five years. How have you been able to stay here for five years? Like, what makes it so enticing for you to stay here? And we get into that. We get into all of his stories about what he's been doing in his life. And David is very well traveled when it comes down to it. He's had a lot of life experiences. But right now, in this moment in time, he is in Tacoma. And that's what we're looking at. These last two years, and even the years before with Brogan and Scott, it was a snapshot into Tacoma life. And that's what this podcast is about. And it's been the last few years and going on, but this is just a flat-out snapshot in time. And that's what I wanted to do with all of this. I wanted to create this to be an oral history of what Tacoma is right now. So without any further ado, since I 
have been rambling a little bit. David James Roberts, author of The Paper Man. With me today at the Union Club down in Tacoma, right off of Broadway. You can check them out at unionclubtacoma.com. I have with me an author who currently resides in Tacoma, but there's a lot more to him than that. So I'm really excited to get into this. We've got David James Roberts, the full three names right there, uh, right on his book right here, The Paper Man. Uh And I'm excited to talk to you about this because... Um, first and foremost, uh, being an author who is in Tacoma, uh, I love it because first off, you are a, a transplant like many people are, but also you spent more than you spent over five years. You spent right. six years. You've been here since 2014. Right. So I'm excited just to get your perspective on what it's been like for you living in Tacoma for the last 10 years. But right. Let's start off talking about the book. Sure. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, what The Paper Man is about. Sure. So The Paper Man is a novelization, a fictionalization of the last days of Matthias Schindler, who was uh, the greatest soccer player in Austrian history. Uh, he played during the 20s and 30s, and oh. he died under mysterious circumstances shortly after Hitler took over Austria. And uh, then right after he died, um, not only did fun and exciting things ensue, but um, (laughs) originally the cause of death on his death certificate was listed as suicide. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's telling because under Nazi law, if you commit suicide, it's illegal for you to have a funeral. Oh. And his teammates banded together to bribe the coroner to change the death certificate to accidental. Wow. Okay. And so, I mean, like, this is, this is during the time when Hitler had taken over the country, correct? Right. Right. And so, was he a big uh, opponent of all of this? I would hope to imagine that this was a thing that was happening with that. But, right. like, so it stands to reason that he was given that suicide label because they wanted to defame him in some sort of way. Right, right. That's the hypothesis that I was working on. And yes, he was very Mm -hmm. anti-Nazi. Austria uh, had a, uh, leading up to the takeover, it's called the Anschluss. And leading up to the Anschluss, uh, Austria had its own fascist in power. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, a man named uh, uh, Joseph Sosnick. Uh, I believe that's how it's pronounced. Um, you're going to get some tweets and whatnot from from other <laughs> the people. The corrections like, department. I'm fine with that. We <laughs> Dave, get a lot of those. <laughs> D- Dave's pronunciation is awful. Um, uh, I, I beg your pardon. It's actually Shaw's nig. Um, and he uh, uh, he was a fascist uh, uh, in, in in his own right. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was uh, very uh, closely allied with Mussolini. And uh, but it was one of those things where it's like uh, for for Schindler, he uh, as a character was very uh, torn between like, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'm a celebrity and I have a voice. But at the same time, I get paid to kick a ball. Yeah. You know, so and so in a, in a sense, uh, the uh, the book is not only just about the events that happened. It's also about what it means to be in a position of power, even though you're not in government. Mm hmm. Well, and that's, I mean, it's a big thing now, too, uh, especially when you see uh, the current state of affairs in America, mm-hmm. whichever side you're on, it's one of those where a celebrity will speak out. And I mean, with the beauty of social media, there's right. a million people who will immediately say, uh, you know, stay in your lane. Don't talk about this. Yeah, shut up and dribble. But uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of times where 
you need those words to get out there because that's the way that you can actually gain support because you realize, hey, somebody up there is feeling the exact same thing that I am. Exactly. So why not throw it out there? But again, mm-hmm. if you, if a guy, especially during this time, I mean, this was in the 30s and 40s, correct? Uh, yeah, 1939. Okay, yeah. So it, it stands to reason that... Uh, putting yourself out there uh, it's really easy for you to well just like matthias did disappear right and then they can just create their own stories their own narratives so and not and not only that he was living under a government where if you opposed it you died yeah and i mean i'm glad that we don't necessarily have that anymore (laughs) i mean i mean with like everyone's talking about shadow governments and all those crazy Mm, things like that exactly like you never know that sort of stuff but it's interesting to see that this is going on, you know, 80 years ago, yep. and it's still kind of happening today. Uh, I, I, I love the fact that um, it is driven around soccer. Mm-hmm. Uh, soccer is a, a big thing in the Pacific Northwest, yeah. especially with, uh, you know, the Sounders and the Tacoma Defiance and yeah. all of that. And you're a huge soccer fan yourself. I am. So how, was the soccer, did that, the aspect of that get you into knowing the history of it? Or how did you get into the history of all of this? Because... Uh, it, it seems I've never heard of all of this. So sure. it's very interesting to me. And I'm very interested to be able to read this book because I want to know how this is going about. But how did you get interested in it in the first place? Yeah. So uh, one day, a couple of years ago, I was just poking around online and uh, I did like a YouTube search for like, you know, history of soccer documentary or something to that effect. Okay. And uh, a short little clip about Matthias came up. And I was, and you know, little light bulb went off and, you know, my, the hair on the back of my neck started standing up and I'm like, there's a story here. Uh, and you know, I didn't know if it was, you know, I thought maybe it would just be something for me to be curious about and to oh, bring yeah. up at parties at some point, you know, yeah, small talk is, Hey, look at this little bit of history that hey, I've learned. It's did kind of you know that in 1938, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But also, uh, the idea of using sports interwiving sports and politics where, mm-hmm. you know, we were just talking about, we don't, we, we sometimes get annoyed with like, you know, the Megan Rapinoe's or the Colin Kaepernick's. I say we colloquially, yeah, collectively, absolutely. uh, I say more power to them, obviously. Um, but you know, like, like, you know, shut up and dribble. But here in the 1930s, uh, you know, I, I assume you know about the 1936 Berlin Olympics when, yes. you know, when Hitler used those Olympics to show his strength. Mm-hmm. Well, 1934, Mussolini fixed the World Cup for Italy to win it. Did he really? Yeah. See, I knew the world. I mean, there's always been talks about how FIFA and the World Cup have always been a corrupt environment oh, yeah. on that. So it doesn't surprise me, but yet still kind of like, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, there's actually a story in the match between it was the semifinal match between Austria and Italy. There was a cross, uh, a pass from uh, one Austrian player to another, and the sideline official walked out on the field headed the ball away from the Austrian back to uh, an, an Italian player. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Damn. Like, that's, I mean, that's like overly blatant. And I guess the fact that you're, you're going to get like word of mouth on something along those lines, but as opposed to today where you're going to get actual video and shots of that, like, that's not, I would hope that that's not <laughs> going to be something that would happen. But then, like, in, in the 30s, sure, yeah, why not? Because mm-hmm. who's going to say otherwise? And then you're going to have control over the newspapers. They're not going to say that. And if you hear somebody say it who was there, it's not going to get beyond a, 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 cer- a certain circle. Right. 
Yeah. And, and the thing about soccer and this story in particular that was so intriguing to me is the, the cultural aspects that soccer has that many sports really don't anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, you, the kind of passion you see in Latin America and in, in, and in Europe, uh, and now to a growing extent across Africa for their local soccer teams, it's really not that dissimilar to the passion that college students have for their college teams. Good call. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And especially that's what you see in uh especially in america right if you go and you look at uh like in the uh, in the midwest like seriously like the stadiums become like the third most populated yeah. city when there's a game night and i mean friday night lights in texas i was recently in texas mm -hmm. and like the the pop station was listing off high school games and high school scores yeah and i was i was like i was blown away <laughs> just because as much as we have sports here, it is nowhere compared to the fervor of uh, football in America. Mm -hmm. And then also just like you're talking about with soccer uh, across the globe. Right. Yeah. And soccer uh, is a universal language. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it is a genuine, you know, second language, third language, whatever you want to call it. It is a it is a, as much a unifier as it is also a, def a, a, a divider yes. uh, in that, uh, you know, like, oh, you you. You like this team, therefore I don't like you. Uh, or, or, yeah. or, you know, in the eight, 70s and 80s in, in England, especially, you know, the fights would break out if you were wearing the wrong oh. uniform. Oh, yeah, the hooligans. Everyone yeah. knows about the hooligans. But but it's it's uh, it's not uncommon in, in South America in some airports. Uh, there are signs up that say, do not enter if you're wearing a soccer jersey. Oh, just not. I mean, I, I, I get the dress codes in some places, but yeah, I mean, yeah. just you just don't want to have fights. Yeah, because that's what's going to happen <laughs> with it. And I mean, soccer's been uh, supremely popular uh, for for. Uh, I mean, you probably know more than I do on that point. How long it is? Maybe decades, like century, like at least a century. Yeah, soccer was officially formalized um, as the sport we know it today in the 1860s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, wow. But there are aspects and other other games uh, that where you know you can't use your arms that are played on a field that date all the way back to ancient China. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it just gets it. Wow. I love that. I love just the fact of the history of all that, and you've had to pour yourself into that, even just to learn about uh, Matthias here, and uh, he like just looking at the back of the the book, and uh, you gave me. The 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 soft cover book mm -hmm. by Blue Forge Press here very nice but you can find it on Kindle and mm -hmm. also just right on Amazon on, on Amazon yeah yeah just look for the paperman David James Roberts on that uh, beyond that I mean you were talking about how how he was lauded in Austria but I mean he actually went to the World Cup yeah. with with the with the team and I was on the national team and stuff like that yeah so having that level of celebrity and then having to deal with all of this. Um, leads into the story, but how do you write the story of this? Because right on the top of it, it is inspired by true events. Right. So where do you take this? Because mysterious circumstances, his, his, uh, teammates decided to be able to bribe them to make sure that he could have an actual funeral. Mm -hmm. Uh, is that the fictional, fictionalized part of it or where did you go with it? Yeah. So, so, uh, the fictionalized part of it is, um, uh, so the story starts off. Uh, days after the onslaughts, uh, happens. Okay. Right. And, uh, then it's formalized. And what I fictionalize is basically I, I was, uh, if, 
you know, I was basically inspired by Oliver Stone in this, where like basically it's it's my oh, idea. Okay, yeah, it's my idea of what happened next. And the big thing here is. Uh, after the Anschluss is is ratified and it's and Austria becomes a new state within Ger- which, within the German boundaries, mm-hmm. Hitler organized a soccer match between the Austrian national team and the German national team, Ooh. and it was going to be the very last time that the Austrian national team ever took the pitch because at that point they would just suddenly become the German national team if you just yeah exactly and you know uh, Germany and Austria they were two very strong. Uh, sides. There are two very strong teams. Austria was arguably better than Germany, but mm-hmm. the thing is, they played two very, very different styles of soccer. And, oh, okay. Yeah, and so the idea in Hitler's mind, it made sense to him, was we'll just merge the two teams, and then we'll have a powerhouse of a soccer team. Yeah, sure, why not? That's yeah. how that totally works. And yes, it's it, completely it, flawless logic on that one. It doesn't make it doesn't matter if you know they don't play the same style, but yeah. they they're both great athletes. They can play. Mm-hmm. Come on, you're you're a professional. <laughs> And that match was supposed to end as a zero-zero tie. Mm-hmm. To, to show be- the equal power, yeah. that there's like, the, the, these are the two unstoppable forces. And then if we bring them together, yeah. they, again, you know, especially in Hitler's world, they will take over the world of soccer. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can totally see all of that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And and needless to say, there would be no Jews on the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, still not funny. Uh, but, um, but, but so... Uh, it, going into the end of the game at around like the 70th, 75th minute thereabouts, Matthias just said, I'm going to score. Oh. And he kicks a ball, scores. Oh, no. Minutes later, one of his teammates scores another goal, making it 2 nothing. Not enough time for Germany to come back to no, try to yeah. get a second. Two yeah, goals. they can't push. Yeah, there's no way that they're yeah. going to be able to get a draw at that point. And the whole crowd and the game is taking place in Vienna. The whole crowd starts chanting Osterreich, which is the Nazi German term for the new state that used to be Austria. Whoa. So, yeah, that actually, I mean, at that point, I can, I mean, in the, again, flawed logic, I can Mm -hmm. understand why there is suddenly a target painted on him in that way. Yeah, and and uh, so he uh, now at this at that time, uh, Matthias was already about thirty five years old. So, mm-hmm. and this was also the, his last professional match. But there was still a push within the Nazi Party to get Matthias to play for the national team for the new German national team with a swastika on his chest. Oh yeah, absolutely, it's yeah. an icon at that point. Yeah, and he's like, you know, and they were they were saying like, okay, look, he doesn't want he doesn't like us, but we're going to make him like us because mm-hmm. if he doesn't play. We'll we'll figure out a way to make life so utterly miserable for him. He ended up opening a coffee shop. Now, this is where things, uh, aside from some of the conversations that I invented um, and and some situations that I also invented for the for the uh, novelization of the mm-hmm. story, um, he opens up a coffee shop and the Gestapo immediately start investigating him oh, and yeah. the shop. Yeah. And uh, I invented a character who is a, co- a conglomeration of several different Gestapo officers into one overzealous Gestapo officer. The one seeking out. And I mean, at this point, it's it, like you're, you're melding a whole bunch of them together but at the yeah. same point these were still people who were doing this yeah. as a group it's the situation not, yeah. actually did happen i'm i am just fictionalizing mm-hmm. how it happened if you will yeah um and uh and you know he he th- this officer um who you know is he's overzealous and he's like if i can get matthias i that's going to be a, the feather in my cap i mm-hmm. can become a you know the leader of the gestapo and and of course they couldn't really find much of anything other than he was serving Jews in his coffee shop. And, I mean, at that point for them, 
That's going to be kind of enough, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, they were looking for more because of his celebrity. Yeah. And that, and that mm-hmm. is that is a fact. They want to take him down a notch. I mean, it's like anything. Yeah. You, like, look at – again, I'm going back to social media. But mm-hmm. you see people uh, – the people who want to see someone fail, especially with a celebrity, want to see them fail spectacularly. Right. And uh, sometimes it's going to be something that is either fictionalized or trumped up sort of things that don't – wouldn't really even matter, but the fact that everybody on one side is complaining about them, right. it suddenly becomes something in the public limelight. Yeah, yeah. Damn. Damn, that is crazy. Grit City Magazine was founded on the notion Tacoma has good stories to tell. On their site, gritcitymag.com, you'll find tons of information about the history of our city of destiny, articles on what artists and makers are doing today, and all kinds of other Tacoma stuff. There's even more cool shit on their social feeds at Grit City Mag on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to look for their quarterly print magazine. It's about damn time Tacoma has shown some love. Thanks to Grit City Magazine for helping do it. Plus, they've got an excellent taste in names. Again, it is the paper man. David, thank you on this one. I love this. It's very exciting because we've got uh, from Amazon. You can get it. And also just uh, if you look on uh, Kindle, you can find it as well from Blue Forge Press. Now, I want to talk a little bit about you. Yeah, okay. Um, first off, uh, looking at the bio that you sent me, you've done a lot of things uh, all over the world, like well, at least all over the country. All over the country. Yeah, yeah. all over the country. And so uh, it's kind of exciting to get your aspects and what you, how you feel about moving here mm-hmm. six years ago from Tacoma and how much Tacoma differs from uh, any other place that you've been. Sure. Uh, well, yeah. So uh, let, let's just uh, give it a little bit of a rundown before we get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in New York. Uh, just outside of New York City. Uh, I went to high school at a boarding school outside of Boston. And then oh, I said, okay. uh, yeah, and then I said, I've had enough of snow. Oh, I was going to say you had enough of the East Coast, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And, and I decided to uh, go to the University of Arizona in Tucson. Oh, wow. That is a bit of a difference. Just a slight one, you know, where, you know, the average temperature in, in Boston is like, what, 75. And the average temperature in Tucson is like, you know, hell. Yeah, I spent, <laughs> I, I spent, I think, maybe, a, maybe at most. Two months in Phoenix. Oh yeah, I remember one point. At one point, my car breaking down and uh, having to walk, and it was eleven <laughs> o'clock. And I'm like, oh, I'll be fine. Oops. And, yeah, walking for I think forty five minutes, having to duck into a store because suddenly now I had heat stroke. <laughs> yeah. So it was yeah yeah like hell is not too far away from what it is down in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is very very hot. Um, and then after I graduated, I got a job in radio production on the uh, John Tesh radio show in Los Angeles. How'd you come across yeah. with that? Um, um, so long story short, basically, uh, my cousin who, uh, lived in LA, mm-hmm. um, had a mutual friend and uh, okay. he knew that I was looking to get into radio at that time. Oh, nice. And, uh, he, he just said to his friend, uh, Hey, do you know any jobs in radio for my, for my cousin? And he's like, well, actually, as a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> Cause you know, John was hiring at yeah. that time. Uh, so I, I got that job and I moved out there, lived there for two years. And then I, uh, went to, and then after two years, uh, I decided to go to graduate school and I went to the Los Angeles of the East coast, also called Miami. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, it was there that I uh, uh, became a reporter. 
uh, and news reporter for TV. And so, like, I have to imagine that being a news reporter kind of feeds into being able to write this book. In a, in a big way, yeah. You know, doing research and, and uh, learning how to write a narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because, you know, this book is, what, 200, 300 some odd pages long. Yeah. Uh, whereas a typical news story is about 60 seconds long. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, you got to get right to the point a lot of those times. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, especially with the book that's uh, a couple hundred pages long, you want to have a little bit more descriptors right, and right. all of that as well. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, it did teach me about character. It did teach me about, you know, being a news reporter, teach me about, you know, being, uh, finding stories underneath certain rocks that you probably wouldn't have thought of before. You know, a good example, one time I, uh, uh, this is when I was working for KWCH in Wichita. I was sent to do a story uh, about the first day of school. Okay. You know, just yeah, the a typical fluff piece sort of thing. I yeah, think. yeah. Yeah. Get the first three sound bites you can. Get the typical shot of the school bus in the front of the school, and mm-hmm. you know, then you know, go to Dairy Queen, have lunch, and put it all together. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 I can totally. do this. Yeah, I can do this with one hand tied behind my back. And as I'm walking around, I see some, a teacher, you know, getting her classroom ready, and I'm like, oh, this will be nice. You know, let me talk to you. It turned out, uh, in the course of talking with her, that this teacher had brain cancer. And she was uh, getting her classroom ready for her long-term sub. Oh, wow. And I'm like, okay, this is my story. Yeah, yeah. That completely (laughs) changes everything. I mean, it's the first day of school for everyone but her. Exactly. But she loves it so much that she's making sure that everything is going to be right. I mean, A for the sub who is going into, you know, it's, I know a lot of substitute teachers who have mm-hmm. no idea. You, you have no idea what you're getting into at that yeah. point. And then also for the kids who are now not going to be having maybe the teacher they're expecting, but now a substitute for a, a long time at that yeah. point. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, like, of course, you know, I, I, you know, interview her for a while, I get all of my shots. And then I call the station and I'm like, hey, listen, I've got something better. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they said, they, they were like, all right, well, you still need to put something together for the first day. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. All right. Yeah. This is the business. <laughs> like, here's this quick little shot, but I've got this bigger thing. Were you able to get that, the, the bigger story out there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I did. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah. So, uh, so after graduating uh, with my master's, I became uh, the bureau chief reporter for the Four Corners region of Albuquerque. Okay. Uh, so I lived in the Four Corners, uh, Farmington, New Mexico. Oh, uh, nice. I lived there for wow. three years. Then I moved to Wichita, Kansas. That's where I met my wife. And I did uh, another two and a half years in news uh, while working there. And then I became a, a college instructor um, for a few years. And then we moved out here. And like I, 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 everybody knows kind of the difference between the East Coast and the West Coast, especially like the high strung mentality right. of the East Coast or the perception of. But I mean, I, I lived there for a little bit, too, so I kind of understand that as well um, from here. What is what are some of the like differences in like culture and just like demeanor from like the, the, the Midwest to what like what we have here in Tacoma? Because we've got a lot of blue collar workers in Tacoma and yeah. stuff like that. And you still have that kind of uh, boots to the ground mentality. But I have to imagine there's a little bit of difference between the Midwest and here as well. Oh, certainly there is. Um, and, you know, there, the, the, you should preface this by saying these differences are not bad things. Oh, no, no, yeah. not at all. It's just what to kind of expect if you're going out there with yeah. those sort of things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of um, coasters, whether you're from the East Coast or the West Coast, you go into uh, a, an area like Wichita, Kansas with a really uh, negative preconceived notion about what you're getting yourself into. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
on the on the surface of things, yeah, uh, you would you would look at that and say, yeah, these preconceived notions are right. But once you actually start talking to people, going to the stores, driving around town, uh, you realize that you know these people, these Midwesterners, are not that different from what you want. You yes. want to live a peaceful life. You want to make sure you have enough money at the end of the month. You want to have a hot meal, and you want to watch a good show on TV. Good call. And, yeah. You know, the, I mean, the biggest difference is maybe you like pop music, they like country music. Uh, <laughs> but you know, they drive a pickup truck, you buy a, you drive a Prius. So what? Yeah. Who cares? You know, why is that such a bad thing? That's a good call. No, it's a really good call. Yeah, right and now. you know, moving out here from Wichita, uh, you know. Really, what we're talking about, the biggest difference is, one, in Wichita, you can get from one side of the city to the other in 20 minutes. <laughs> but there's a lot better options for coffee here. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Absolutely. I just love the fact that I can go literally to the Winco and get my own beans and get the exactly. And I mean, it's the Winco. It, <laughs> like, you say that and it shouldn't be like great coffee, but it's still a lot better coffee than you can get anywhere else. Uh, just a side story on that. I remember going to Florida recently, going on, uh, going to like the Orlando, St. Petersburg, Tampa area. And uh, one of my friends ordered a quad shot. Oh, boy. Exactly. They just <laughs> stared at him. They're like, you want four shots of a do really and it was one of those like they were like they gave it to him and they apologized beforehand because like we don't do this so i hope this is okay and so it was like and it was fine and it was great but it was that sort of thing that you don't realize like we're kind of in a little bit of a bubble up here yeah and especially with seattle as opposed to like tacoma and the surrounding areas where you're talking about like pickup trucks and mm -hmm. i mean you can go out to buckley and even in tacoma there's a right. lot of that blue collar mentality out there with that right so it kind of stands reason it makes sense that it'd be kind of a good uh, transition for you. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, when we moved out here, because I've lived in so many cities and so many different parts of the country, mm -hmm. uh, I, I felt at home almost immediately, as did my wife. That's and, awesome. And, That's and really she's from cool. Wichita. Oh, wow. So yeah. she come in here, she was still... Because... Uh, you have sometimes, especially with Tacoma, and it's like you'll see it on like social media and stuff like, I'm moving to Tacoma. Should I expect to get shot? And you're like, no. <laughs> but I mean, uh, the, the, one of the big phrases here is to keep Tacoma feared. And it's that kind of little bit of that perception. It's like, we're not going to totally say that it's, you know, like, you <laughs> know, rainbows and, you know, butterflies and stuff here. But there's still the people are still good people. You yeah. don't have to worry about everything all the time. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I want to talk to you about is the fact that when you started writing this, mm -hmm. uh, writing the book, The Paper Man, you, it happened during, uh, NaNoWriMo. Yeah, yeah. So that is the, I, I think I got this, the National November Writing Month? National Novel Writing Month. Novel, novel. Yeah. Okay. I was just, because it happens in November. Because it happens in November. And yeah. so you wrote this during that month. Now, yep, was it 30 days? So the entire 30 days, you just banged it out and then yep. it's like the editing factor afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. What inspired you to want to spend the month writing? Because I yeah. know a lot of friends who do this, and it's it's an undertaking to try to get this done and get a certain amount of words done yeah. in that month. Was it just you saw it and you're like, I think I can do this? Or how did it go about for you on that? Yeah, so um, uh, without going into too many details, because I really don't want to, uh, but <laughs> uh, I was actually quitting a job. Okay. At, uh, mm -hmm. Going into November, I had a job that just, it was just one of those deals. It just wasn't working out. Right. I feel you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, uh, we decided, uh, my wife and I, we, we came to an agreement that, you know, like, look, I got all of these other passions that I want to pursue, writing being one of them. Let's quit this job. 
focus on your passions and we'll get through it. And, uh, going into November, I, I, uh, NaNoWriMo crossed my radar and I had been researching this as a hobby for a while and sort of outlining the story in my mind. And I'm like, okay, well, I could maybe make it a screenplay. I could make it a novel. I could make it a short story or, or something. I want to do something with this story. It's just knocking on the inside of my head going, come on, mister, write me. <laughs> I want out. Yes. <laughs> Put me on paper. Mm-hmm. And I just said, you know what? NaNoWriMo is happening. I'm going to do it. Well, it's the the preparation meets opportunity at that point. You had the perfect space. You had no excuses not to at that point. Right. So why not? And was it, did you have a certain like set a word amount that you had to hit every time or how did, or every day or how did that go about? Yeah. So NaNoWriMo, uh, if you go to the website, it's Mm NaNoWriMo.org and uh, you create like an account. It's totally 100% free. Oh, cool. Yeah. And uh, what they do is they give you this graph uh, where for, with like 30 lines on it. So, and they, the goal is every day, uh, try to write 1500 words. Oh, okay. And if you write 1,500 words uh, on November 30, you will have about 50,000, 55,000 word manuscript written. Wow. And then the idea is you go into December, January, February, you know, tweaking and editing. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you can turn that 50,000 into 60 to 80,000 which is about what a novel okay. is. Okay, yeah, right? yeah, because you want to flesh it out and stuff like that. Yeah. Add, add a little bit of the more colorful language as you need to go along with mm-hmm. that. And wow. Yeah, so- and so on this graph, when you enter your word count for the day, mm-hmm. uh, right below it, there'll be a tabulation and a calculation of, uh, so based on what you've written up to now, on day 30, you will uh, have an estimated word count of blah. Mm-hmm. And then so after the month is over, mm-hmm. you go back. How how long did it take you to continue to edit and continue to work through the process? Yeah, so it took me about a year Okay, uh, to, okay. to write and edit and flesh it out a little bit more. I think that's a kind of a good thing to, to tell the listeners as well, too, mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, you wrote a book in a month? Well, there's a little bit more of a process yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, any, I encourage everybody uh, to 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 try to, you know, stick to a goal like mm-hmm. this for a writing goal. If you want to pursue writing, if you have any sort of creative fire or desire inside of you. Yeah. Um, and just know draft number one is going to suck like a vacuum. <laughs> it is just going to suck. Yeah. You're going to ha- come up with plot points that are, you, you think at the time are genius. And then you read back, you read it back and you're like, what was I smoking at the time when I thought this? This doesn't. It, this is just bad. Yeah. But then at, at that point, though, it's out on it's it, it's out into the open. Right. You can look at it. You can discern what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And then again, uh, add take away how you mm-hmm. want to, or uh, I guess maybe even sculpt it into what you need. Because at yeah. this point, yeah. you've got a, just a big giant clay like just a thing of clay and you want to turn it into what you envision in your mind right and it's not going to be a one and done sort of thing exactly yeah and on top of that too when you when you know that draft one is going to suck you just simply have to continue plowing through Mm -hmm. you just have to get to the finish line and get it done it's like you understand that there's just this descriptor right here or these uh this dialogue isn't the best but again 
you're you there and you can fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and one more thing too, you know, like I, sometimes I'll come across people who are like, you know, I don't have any great ideas anyway. So why would I want to write a book? Well, you know, there are times, um, I had written like a paragraph or a chapter and I'm just like, you know what? I'm just, this just sucks. This mm-hmm. isn't going to work. But by plowing it through and continuing to write, I found that, uh, by simply plowing through that idea, mm-hmm. I got the idea. Okay. You know? And it's just, it's, it, it's the same thing as just like working on your mind. You're brainstorming, yeah. you're figuring it out. But once as you get it out there, mm-hmm. yeah, writer's, come out. writer's block is not the ability to come up with any good ideas. Writer's block is the inability to think that any of your ideas are good. Ooh. Wow. That's a really good point on that. Yeah. And a lot of the times the, 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 the person's biggest attractor is themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's just that thought. It's like, oh, this isn't good enough. And it's, Doing anything creative, whether right. it be dancing, hell, going to karaoke, <laughs> doing any of those things that you feel that you love to do, but you don't feel you're good enough at doing, it takes practice. Yeah. Like everybody, it's like that guy up there jamming on the guitar. It He didn't just start, most people didn't just start off there just, you know, wailing away and being perfect at it. Mm-hmm. And even then, you just got to put in the hours and do that. And that's what you said. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's... A month of writing to get it out, right. but then a year of putting it into the the sculpture that you wanted. Exactly. I, you know, have you ever read the original lyrics of the Beatles song Yesterday? No. Yeah, the original lyric was scrambled eggs. It's all I want for breakfast today. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. <laughs> And then you're like, sure. And then it can be suddenly a lot better on uh, yeah. that. <laughs> and then, and then you know, you sleep on it, you sober up, and you realize, wait, no, I have the melody. <laughs> I just need better words. <laughs> Do you feel that this, uh, this, this book here again, the Paper Man, mm-hmm. you can get it uh, on Amazon and in Kindle as well. Do you feel this has inspired you to do more writing and more research yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah, definitely. And in fact, in the course of doing the research for this book, I stumbled across um, what's going to become my next book. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Well, everyone needs to get this one first, pick it up, and then that way you can uh, continue on uh, doing all of that as well. Do you yeah. think you're going to stick in this uh, the same kind of historical fiction sort of uh, area? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, well, well, at least for the next one, okay, uh, because uh, that one is actually going to be an alternative history. Ooh, um, wow! But it's set around the same time, okay. uh, that this one took place about ten years earlier, uh, actually. Uh, and I don't want to give out too many ideas because somebody might steal it from me. <laughs> <laughs> all due respect to your listeners. Oh, absolutely. I understand that. Yeah. Uh, um, go ahead. Oh, no, no. But yeah, but uh, I don't think I, I don't see myself doing nothing but historical fiction. Okay. So you want to branch out and be able yeah. to do some more. That's cool. Because yeah. I mean, leaning into that, I mean, doing the research on this area, I figured that you might have mm-hmm. a, another book or maybe even more to go along with mm-hmm. that. So that's really cool. Yeah. Unfortunately, there can't really be a series uh, for this one. <laughs> um, I mean, I maybe I yeah. could figure out writing the prequel or something like that, but I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh I do have some just random questions sure. for you on this one to kind of finish this all up. Again, check out The Paper Man. Uh, I'm, a, I'm excited to be able to read this and uh, see where it goes and how you, uh, your take on this. Um, but some, since you do have a, a, a background that has gone kind of all over the gamut across the things, um, is there anything else that you would like to do or something that you, has inspired you to want to do, uh, going through all of the different, uh, uh, genres of work that you've done? Yeah. I'd love, to be able to turn the paper man into a film 
Ooh, okay. I think it would make a wonderful, wonderful movie. Mm -hmm. Shout out to any producers out there. (laughs) Um, I'd love to uh, work on a television show. Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, uh, as a uh, sort of a therapeutic exercise, I uh, wrote uh, some scenes and some dialogue based on my experiences having worked in local news. Oh, okay. Um, So I'd love to, I I think that there could be either a series or a film based on some of those ideas and stories. Um, And uh, I'd love to uh, continue on in the creative realm in one way, shape, or form. That's one of those things that, uh, for me especially, like doing the podcast is kind of a creative release on that. Mm-hmm. And uh, being able to do this, and even with even here today, I'm not with my all the co-hosts and stuff because we're at the Union Club at 11 a.m. on a Wednesday mm-hmm. and everyone else is still working and I had the <laughs> chance to be able to be here. Um, I still need to get that out. Sure. And it's one of those things, again, like doing any sort of aspect of creative work is one of those things that I love to do. So good mm-hmm. on you on that. Yeah, thanks. Um, is there anything that you've been afraid to try uh just like when somebody had come up to you and been like we're gonna go do this and for me like personally it was like literally it's it's not even work it's it's skydiving Uh like there's zero chance that i'm ever going to be doing that and i understand that and i know my limitations on that has there been uh something that's been proposed to you like that that you've been afraid to try uh, and regrets are not on that end. Yeah, I, I, I would need to think about that for a little bit. I am more than certain there has been. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, I, when I was a reporter, I, I, I did a lot of things as a reporter. I never thought I would do, you know, I, mm-hmm. one time I got to fly in a, in a World War II airplane. That's kind uh, of terrifying. Like I'll fly in a giant normal, like <laughs> you know, going from here to Chicago or something. I'll yeah. fly in that, but that's about it for me. Like the little ones, mm-mm, I can't. <laughs> what was that experience like? It, it was a, it was actually a lot of fun. Um, I found out later that I wasn't actually supposed to do it, but because um, of the station's insurance. Oh no! <laughs> like, well, great. Here's all this video I shot on the plane that I can't use. Oh, but, really? Yeah. So they're just like, oh, just because of insurance, you like you weren't supposed to be up there so we couldn't use any of this yeah yeah wow did you get to keep it um no one uh, well actually i didn't even think about keeping it oh uh, see I, yeah, yeah just to be like yeah i did this yeah no i i really didn't think about doing that but i do remember one time a long long time ago um somebody i was dating at the time wanted to go deep sea diving mm-hmm. and i'm like no thanks I, yeah. yeah i've seen jaws <laughs> and that's like I mean, he's like that is one of those things that yeah, like there's there's deep sea creatures out there, yeah. and I get that. I mean, like, oh, you'll be in the cage. I'm like, I, I, okay. I've seen videos of them getting into those cages. I'm kind of <laughs> cool with that. So you know, that might be another one for me. Like down way up high and down below. Yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty good on that one. Uh, another question on this: uh, Where's a place that you haven't traveled that you would like to see? Um, I've not been to the Far East. Okay. Um, I've not been to Australia or New Zealand. This, I'd love to go there. I would love to go to New Zealand. As well. Um, and I, you know, I've been to Europe, but I've not been to Scandinavia. Oh, really? Yeah. We want to go, the wife and I, to uh, Ireland and do the tours. Oh, of all the Ireland is awesome. All of that. Is it really? Yeah, Ireland is a blast. Nice. Yeah. And I, I always love hearing about that because, I mean, I haven't heard anything bad about that other than mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to understand everybody because <laughs> they are speaking English, but it's not really. <laughs> Watch plenty of Monty Python before you go. You'll be fine <laughs> as far as that's concerned. And on that note, is there a place that you would love to go back to that you have been? I'd love to go back to England. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd love to go back to Ireland as well. Um, yeah, Portugal actually comes to mind. I'd love to go back there. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
So just all over Europe and stuff like that. Was that, yeah. did you end up there just because and did it help with your research or how did that go about? Uh, no. So, um, uh, so I went to Portugal. My sister, my oldest sister was living there at the mm. time when I was a child. Um, oh, fun. yeah. And I've been to Italy several times. I dated a girl, uh, from Italy. Uh, she was from uh, the Venice area. Okay. Uh, so I've been there a number of times as well. England, I went uh, on uh, school trips when I was in college. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and then most recently, uh, my wife, she's in the military, and she was doing um, uh, some training at the Gallenkirchen Air Force Base uh, in northern Germany. Okay. And yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, uh, we took the whole family uh, to spend, uh, what, you know, two some odd weeks there. And, um, uh, so I finally got to see a European soccer game while I was there. Oh, see, yeah. that's exciting because you're, you are, like, it even says on the thing, you are a big soccer fan. I am, yeah. So that had to have been a treat. Yeah. What is the, like, what was the experience like that for you being at a soccer match? Yeah. There. So, yeah. So I got to go see, uh, an Ertz Divise match, which is the Dutch second division. Okay. And it was Fortuna Sittard. I can't remember who they were playing. I'd have to like go through their, their, uh, <laughs> schedule to, to figure it out. But I, I actually got the tickets on a, on a fluke. Really? Yeah. And I got to go and I actually was sitting in the supporter section at this match and the stadium was like three quarters empty. Oh, wow. Which was kind of shocking to me because they were actually in promotion position. So I would have thought that more people would have been coming out for that. Yeah, really? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they won the game handily. And aside from the fact that uh, the, you know, all of the supporters were, like I said before, like college football fans where it's like, we don't care. We're supporting these. This is our team. Yeah. You know, they're wearing our, our colors. They are our boys. You know, mm -hmm. these are our guys. Uh, and there were moments there where it was pretty clear, like, yeah, this is a, you know, a second division Dutch team, a lower table first division Dutch team. But then there were other moments when you're watching the match where you could tell that these players have spent their entire lives playing soccer. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I love. I mean, I had a chance to go check out. I think the Sounders were taking on Man U. Mm. Uh, and so it was... It was astounding that first off, most of the uh, most of the stadium was Manu colors because yeah. how often are they going to come here? <laughs> exactly. But then you get to see in like the difference in levels of play, right? But like all of the players are there to play, and they've been yeah. training their entire lives to do this. So you can't take away from anyone. I mean, yes, Manu did beat the Sounders six zero, <laughs> but it was still it was an amazing experience yeah. to see those levels of play. And you see one guy, and you're like, oh, he is. Yeah, he's in midfield, and he's going to. Score. Yeah, he's yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you know, for me, I I'm not a big fan of the teams that win all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I really am more attracted to teams that either um, truly represent their community the way that they see fit, mm -hmm. or they play in a style that is truly punching above their weight. Mm -hmm. You know, so you know, it's like, oh well, all of the all of your favorite European teams are like in the second or third division, Dave. What's going on here? And I'm like, well, they could get promoted and they're working on that. Not only could they get promoted, but like, it, it, can I just go, go on a quick tangent yeah, on Pro yeah, Rel? Yeah, okay. Yeah, please. So you spend a lot of time on soccer Twitter. You're going to, you're going to find a lot of, of what are best described as bro relers. <laughs> you know, the, these, these, these folk who, you know, they, they watch soccer with tinfoil hats on their heads and they truly believe that 
all that uh, th- that what makes MLS so evil is the business structure. And yeah, we can complain all day long about mm. the business structure of MLS and mm-hmm. how you know if you have three hundred twenty five million dollars, you can buy your way into the league. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> well, here's the big thing: like Real Madrid, Man U, Barcelona, they got an extra three hundred twenty five million sitting around. What are they going to do? They're going to get the best three hundred twenty five players they can get. Yes, you know, yeah, uh, or or the best three players that they can get. Mm-hmm. In the way I see it, that's not that dissimilar from paying a league to get into your league. Because what they're really yeah, doing is they're paying their way. Point, yeah. They're basically paying their way into Champions League. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. And then there are teams that maybe spend one year in the first division and then the next year they drop back down or they, they're just hovering over the lower mid table, just simply trying to avoid relegation. Mm-hmm. But the big difference is, is the way that they're uh spending that amount of money is uh trying to bring more fans to the games and trying to better represent their community in a way that may be off the pitch. That's kind of an interesting point because I see an allegory between that and if you look at baseball like the Yankees who mm-hmm. are like everyone's going to buy, you know, they get the championships because they get the best people. Right. And then you look at some of the other uh, other stadiums and other uh, stuff where they're actually integrating more fan services because they want to build that community as opposed to yeah. have the championships. And I guess it's just what's important to the owners at that right, point. Right. Yeah. What's more important to the owners? How do they want to, uh, you know, do their business? Um, and, you know, part of, of professional sports is that mercenary attitude from the athletes where it's like, yeah, you know, I absolutely love playing for, uh, well, I'm going to say one of my favorite teams, Sheffield Wednesday, you know, because, you know, maybe I'm from Sheffield, maybe they were my hometown team, maybe they gave me the first opportunity and I'm from Northern Scotland or, you know, or or Hazleton, Kansas, and some scout from Sheffield Wednesday wanted to give me a shot, you know? So yeah, I have that little bit of loyalty, but at the end of the day, I got bills to pay. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the interesting point in sports in general now, because I think mercenary was the best way to put it. Yeah. Because they don't, uh, they're, I guess, I don't want to say that there's no loyalty because that's not really what it means anymore. It's like we're in a capitalistic society. Right. You got to be able to pay those bills. And a lot of the times it's going from place to place. And because you've shown and you've proven how well you are and other people notice that. So yeah. why stick with somebody who, you know, you maybe want to move on to bigger and better things or yeah. just move sideways and just experience something else. Yeah. And as long as the team you're supporting for me, uh, the team I'm supporting, when they lose, they don't look like they just simply gave up. They went down swinging. Yeah. I'm more I, I, I feel more loyal to that team as a fan. Going for the underdog. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, love absolutely. It. Sometimes it's not the underdog, but just supporting them through thick and thin, really. Yeah, through thick and thin. And, you know, you don't want to lose all the time. You know, you don't want to, because then it just becomes, you know, is boring and, yeah. mm-hmm. and you know, just a complete way. Yeah, maybe I'll just watch this episode of Frasier again on Netflix instead of watching my favorite team lose. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if they, if they play in a way where they're punching above their weight, they're really making it tough for Manchester United to win. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd rather watch them lose one nothing instead of 12 nothing or something like that That's you know point. <laughs> Dave it's been a pleasure uh, I want to ask you one last question yeah. because of all the things that you've done before uh, being a, a reporter a, a, a professor doing all of these different things working in radio all of this up to being a writer right now do you currently have a favorite a uh, job that you've done, either being in the past or being a writer now, mm-hmm. the one that just stood out for you beyond everything. Yeah, it was uh, finishing uh, the new documentary that came out about a year or two ago called The Lifeblood and Rhythm of Randy Castillo. 
Really? So yeah. tell, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So Randy Castillo most famously played drums for Ozzy Osbourne uh, oh, during the 80s and yeah, early part of yeah, the 90s. Yeah. And uh, he passed away in, I think it was 2000. I just have to double check my records there. I think it was in 2000 uh, after a stint with Motley Crue. Mm. And uh, he is uh, uh, most noted, uh, aside from his impressive hard rock heavy metal resume, Absolutely. but he's uh, the first Apache rock star. Wow. Yeah. Didn't even realize that. Yeah. That's amazing. And so how'd you end up working with that? So uh, the executive producer, a uh, guy named Mike Bell, uh, and uh, the director of the film, Wynn Ponder, um, we were sort of sharing circles, mm-hmm. professional circles, when I was teaching at Bethany College um, in Wichita. And um, uh, they were working on the documentary, and uh, they asked me to take a look at it. And I was really excited about it because, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a headbanger nice, as well. Nice, nice. Yeah, and uh, uh, and uh, so I looked at the film, and I was like, "Well, yeah, we can. Uh, uh, how can I help? Do you want my help? Yeah, exactly. may I help? Yeah, yeah. Please, please, <laughs> please. Oh Look at all this footage. I basically, I, I, I literally forced my way into into the film. <laughs> um, sometimes you gotta. Sometimes mm-hmm. you gotta. Absolutely. And um, uh, so they had an original cut. Uh, that wasn't getting a lot of traction. Uh, not that it was bad, but that it, there needed to be more meat. Mm-hmm. You know, there needed, okay. we needed more, mm-hmm. uh, about him, about his personality. Um, and, uh, so they gave me the opportunity to, to completely recut the film. Wow. And I added about, uh, 30 some odd minutes. Um, and some new interviews as well. And we got the film completed and that is also streaming on Amazon and it's also available for purchase on iTunes and Google Play and wherever else. And what was the name of that again for everybody? Yeah, Life, Blood and Rhythm of Randy Castillo. Awesome, man. Seriously, like, I, I love the fact that you've been able to do so much and just get all of those different world experiences. And now that you are living in Tacoma and being able to experience yeah. all that Tacoma <laughs> has to offer, uh, again, it is David James Roberts, The Paper Man, inspired by true events and available on Amazon and Kindle. Dave, seriously, man, thank you so much for spending some time with the Grid City Podcast. Yeah, thank you. I loved it. I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode. And I don't know how many one-on-ones we'll be doing. If you think they're fun, if you think they're cool, let me know. Info at Grid City Podcast. I want to thank David for being on the episode and go check out the paper man. It's on Kindle. It's available via Amazon and inspired by true events. You've seen it before with the big Hollywood productions, but now it's a guy from Tacoma right now who is making his own art and he wants to get into this and Support him. Support anybody that we've had over the last two years. And go ahead and listen to our older podcasts. Share this podcast. Share the other ones. If you can't give us any money or subscribe to our Patreon, that's cool. Like, we're not worried about that. We're having fun doing what we're doing at this point, And we'll just keep putting them out. But I want to hear from you guys. I want to get some feedback on all of this. Tell us how you feel about Tacoma. And as we're going to be doing this, we're going to keep doing coaster questions. So if you have a question about a a previous guest that you maybe want to have answered, let us know because we might have them on or we might have someone that is adjacent to them on. We're going to have Billy from Mary Mart on. We're going to have brewers. We're going to have artists. We're going to have authors. We're going to have dancers. We're going to have the Derby girls back on. We're going to have all of these people on. So if there's anybody we've ever had on that you want to ask a question of, send it to us. We'll keep it in there. Or, you know, if there's a question that maybe you wanted to ask a specific person and you don't know how to get a hold of them, get a hold of us. Maybe we can get those people on. We want to hear what's interesting to you about this area. 
And, you know, thank you again for listening. Keep Tacoma gritty. Keep yourself gritty. Keep Tacoma feared. Do whatever you want to do. But to all of you guys, have a great new year. Have a great new decade. You've been listening to the Grit City Podcast. Check them out at gritcitypodcast.com. Yeah.